listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. This is the New York Football Podcast, our Giants pod here at The Athletic. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Review us if wherever you're listening you have that ability to do so. I'm Tim McMaster along with Dan Duggan, our Giants reporter here at The Athletic. And it is draft week. It was supposed to be spectacular in Las Vegas. There was going to be a boat delivering players to the stage. Instead, we're going to have some video conferencing from basements and home offices. Dan, it's it's not what we thought it would be, but it is sports, and it's an outlet, and I think everybody needs that right now. Yeah, no, I mean, I think everyone is is fired up for this. Uh, feels like the same amount of buzz you get, um, you know, in a normal draft. And, and being the only show in town, I'm assuming the ratings for this are really going to be through the roof this year. Yeah, definitely. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. The big talk has been, and it's because you need some sort of thing to, to kind of cover the news, but there's been so much talk about how these teams are going to do it. Now, granted, the prep has been different. There haven't been the pro days guys are used to and, and getting out there and in person, but they've been able to talk to these players uh, via video conferencing the way we are all working right now uh, during COVID-19 and all these shutdowns. But as far as the Giants go, um, how has it affected a new staff taking over to just not be able to be in the same room together? I mean, I imagine that's a challenge. You're not going to get Joe Judge to say that, though. I mean, he is a very um, confident guy, not going to make any excuses. So uh, as of right now, the, the kind of the the nerve center of the Giants operation is is Dave Gettleman's home in New Jersey and Joe Judge's basement and his home in uh, North Attleboro, Massachusetts. So um, they're making it work. I mean, at the end of the day, 31 other teams have to figure this out, too. It's, it's not an ideal situation for anybody. Uh, I think we probably talked about it on the last podcast. Um, we were talking more about free agency. It's definitely a, a bigger disadvantage when you're talking about a new staff, first time head coach, you know, all that. If you're an organization like the Chiefs or, you know, the Patriots, kind of just keep humming along as you've done the last couple of years and, and just have to get adjusted to working remotely. Um, for the Giants, it's it's a brand new operation, so they don't have anything to sort of fall back on. So uh, I would assume there were some kinks to work out there. But again, when you hear from Joe Judge, uh, he says everything's gone smoothly and it just seems like he's not the type of guy who's going to make a lot of excuses. So people are going to get, they, they figured out how to you know work Zoom and, and all those things pretty quickly and there wasn't going to be any Oh, it's okay that you you know you screwed up an evaluation because you you know you, your wife uh, vacuumed over the core like we were talking about before we came on here with Ryan Pace. Like I, I think that it's it's kind of going to be a no excuse operation. So even this, I, I don't think that uh, it, it'll fly as some sort of excuse for why things they don't go well uh, on Thursday night. We're going to focus a lot on that number four pick on Thursday night and who the Giants could get if they trade. All, all sorts of different things around that. Dave Gettleman has also spoke in the last week. We'll talk about his words as well. But overall, do you feel like too much is being made of the difficulties of doing this via conference call as opposed to, to how it would be normally done, considering the entire world is basically working this way? Yeah, I mean, it's driving me crazy. It feels like all we've heard <laughs> since the start of this is how difficult this is going to be for NFL teams. I mean, everyone in the world is grappling with this. And I'm not even going to go to the level of like you know, how many millions of people are out of work. So I don't want to hear about someone making seven figures struggling to navigate two screens or whatever the, the complaint of the day is. I mean, it's crazy. Free agency went off. You know, more or less without a hitch, I think obviously the big obstacle there was the medical stuff and there were a few signings that fell through. But that happens every year anyways. 
the draft, I mean, listen, I understand it. There's a reason why all the guys get together in, you know, a quote unquote war room. It's, it's definitely more efficient, but it's not that big of a deal. I mean, we all have become masters of using zoom or whatever video conferencing, you know, you do a happy hour with your friends, you do something with grandma, everyone can work it. So I'm just so tired of hearing how these, you know, multi-million dollar organizations are, are just throwing things so out of whack. Uh, you know, if you follow along on Twitter, some of the national reporters uh, tweeting about all the difficulties in this mock draft they held on Monday. I mean, every fan does a mock uh, virtual draft for their fantasy team in, in 10 leagues every year. It's not that complicated. Now, I understand the stakes are high and, and you're adding some variables to the equation. But, I mean, these guys get paid far too much money. They have nothing else to worry about. They, they should be able to get this right. Uh, and, I, and I really think some of the stuff is, is crazy. Like, when they're in the draft room, they still have to, you know, call the pick into their representative who's on site. You know, say they were in Las Vegas. Then that representative has to notify the league, and then the league has to notify that you know the every other team, and then Goodell gets to make the pick. It's not like it's just this one-on-one operation. Now I understand that all the Giants' uh, brain trust won't be in the same room, but it seems pretty simple to me. You have one Zoom channel with you know the the top brass, Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman, John Mayer, you know the eight or ten people that are you know the real higher ups. And then you just have, have one other one that has all your area scouts and your position coaches. And when you need to ask a question, it won't be in the first round, most likely anyways, you need to ask a question in the fifth round, you know, about some outside linebacker from UCLA. Well, then maybe you bring in the position coach there or the area scout from the West Coast and they they add their input to the main Zoom channel. You know, whatever it is, it just doesn't feel like it's that complicated. So, I mean, and again, to my point about calling into the league, like they're just going to have a line open and as long as everyone figures out how to mute their their line which is you know can that's be a, a problem based, sometimes <laughs> based on my experience <laughs> on the giants conference call that that is a huge hurdle so hurdle so thankfully they did do a mock draft but it just doesn't feel like it's that complicated so all this hand wringing uh, I, I don't get it and i don't think anyone wants to hear it i will say later in the draft when you have to try and make trades on the clock i think that will be a little bit trickier because you're going to have an assistant GM calling one team, a GM calling another team, a pro personnel director calling another team, and then they all have to still communicate. That I can see that's tougher not being in person. And then the end of the draft, I think undrafted free agency, which is a mess already, is going to be just complete wild wild west. You will definitely have guys who you know an agent tweets or a reporter breaks that so and so signing with a team, and then it doesn't come to be fruition because oh wait we didn't have enough money to sign that guy because that that's just <laughs> a tough process to juggle so many things. And they have a, a finite amount of money. So the teams will probably definitely get overcommitted. Although maybe they just kind of hang back a little more than usual to, to prevent that from happening. But, I mean, those are two pretty minor things. I don't think it's going to have uh, a drastic impact on the draft and certainly not the first round. Any trade you're making in the first round, odds are you've been laying the groundwork for that for days, if not weeks. So there shouldn't be any crazy scrambling, you know, once you're on the clock. Yeah, and a lot of executives have said that if they're going to make a trade uh, on Thursday, they want it in place uh, before the draft starts, just to avoid any of that kind of problems with that. One thing I'd love to see is that if all these Zoom calls could just be recorded, I feel like not not on Thursday night because it's the first round and it starts prime time and, and all these things and, and people will be on their best behavior, doors will be locked. But I feel like when you get into Friday and Saturday, at some point in, in one of these calls, you're going to have like dogs bursting into the room and and knocking stuff over and stuff going on in the background and in somebody's basement or home office. And I would just love to see the outtakes after the fact. I know we never will, but, uh, well, but I can dream a little bit. 
That was timely because I don't know if you heard my dog just bark in the background. <laughs> so yes, it is something we will all have to deal with. Uh, no, I think I think that that's true. And you know what I will I will say, some of these teams, you know, do really great behind the scenes stuff. I mean, the Cowboys have been basically showing parts of the players they're interviewing. Some teams treat even just those interviews like they're state secrets, and the Cowboys are are showing clips from the interviews. So. I think we will get some great uh, yeah. behind the scenes. Maybe not bloopers so much, but I think you will get to see um, certain organizations will really, you know, kind of peel back the curtain and show how they did operate this, you know, kind of unprecedented scenario for a draft. Teams we won't see that from the Patriots, and I think the Giants, just because Joe Judge comes from the Patriots, where everything is locked up, obviously. So I don't think we'll see any of that sort of stuff. Um, speaking of these these war rooms, so to speak, that are virtual war rooms now. Um, Dave Gettleman speaking this week, and um, there was some photos that went viral of him in his office, um, basically with a bunch of paperwork in one laptop and some people were making fun of Gettleman because other executives are out there with like three laptops and a TV and, and everything's digital. Gettleman had a big stack of papers. Um, so people like to poke fun at Gettleman. It was an opportunity to do it. Now on a part of my take podcast, uh, Brandon Bean of, of the bill said he's actually pretty tech savvy. Uh, don't let that fool him. It does kind of play into Gettleman's kind of aura though, right? The way he handles press conferences, the way he does other things that he's kind of this wild West guy that, that does it with paper instead of computer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, listen, Gettleman is an easy target and especially for the types of people who are on Twitter who are going to be making memes and stuff because he's, you know, kind of gone right at the whole analytics community. Um, you know, that picture, it's it's funny. The guy, people get so serious one way or the other, but it's, you know, it's, it's a funny image because you'll see these younger GMs with, you know, like you said, seven monitors and Gettleman has, you know, just one little laptop with his wired mouse and a binder that is, you know, like eight inches thick. It's just funny. But does it matter on draft night? Of course not. I mean, I, I think there is probably some value to having maybe like two screens. So you maybe have the zooms on one and you, and the, the draft stuff on another. Um, but I, I don't think you can, you're going to look back and, and measure the draft results of this and be able to draw a straight line to like number of monitors equaled like number of pro bowlers. But um, he, again, he just kind of makes himself an easy target. He just kind of always looks a little funny. Um, the Brandon Bean comment. I mean, I think everything on Pardon My Take is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, so I don't know that Dave Gettleman's been pulling this long con and, ju and just lulling us all to sleep. I think he is a pretty old-school guy. I think there's plenty of evidence um, to suggest that he's an old-school guy. Now, is he better working um, the projector or you know the film he's watching than, than we all see on the outside? I mean, probably. Who knows? Again, I, he just kind of projects that image, and I think he's very comfortable projecting that image. I don't know that it's really, like, fooling anybody I, again I, I think he is you know more that way he's more old school than new school and you know Brandon Bean's a, a friend that you know kind of came up under him in Carolina so he's not gonna he's not gonna take a shot at, at his uh, sort of his mentor but uh I don't you know I don't think I think it's kind of much to do about nothing but it's still I mean it is funny when you see these young GMs with you know all these monitors and then you got good old Dave with the eight inch thick binder where he's obviously flipping through you know he, he always has this line where he says this offensive tackle class is thick. This cornerback class is thick. And that's sort of an interesting way to describe a position group. But now I think we know what he means. He literally means like there's <laughs> 60 pages on tackles in my book and only 30 on center. So like the tackle group is thick. I think we might have cracked the code on that one because it quite literally is a thick dossier he has there on the draft class. Yeah, everybody else says deep, but his binder is not deep. It's thick. <laughs> it's a perfect explanation. Uh, oh boy, uh, it's never it's never dull. That's for sure. Um, 
So he spoke on Friday. Um, what else? You know, it's it's mostly exactly what you expect somebody to say. They're not going to give away any state secrets. He he talked about different stuff. But did anything kind of pop out at you listening to Gettleman speak on Friday? I think it reinforced maybe a lot of what we sort of suspected or the breadcrumb, breadcrumbs he has dropped leading up to this point. I mean, for the first time in his career as a GM, you know, he's had seven drafts already. I think for the first time he is very prepared to trade down. Now, it's funny that he's finally prepared to, and there really might not be a match, uh, at least with that fourth pick. That's what we're talking about. I mean, certainly uh, he could trade a later pick. Maybe he trades down from 36 to, to try to pick up two picks in that, in that second, third round range, something like that. But let's let's focus on the fourth pick because that's, um, you know, obviously going to set the tone for this draft. Um, so, I mean, he, he said he's, you know, will seriously entertain offers. Uh, the question is what teams are willing to come up and how much they're willing to give up because I think – one thing I, I do believe, as much as Gettleman is open to trading back, I don't think he's open to trading back to like 23 and getting a, you know, a million other picks. I think he wants to move in a small window. Like I've, I've said nine with the Jaguars is probably the lowest realistically as far as where he would want to go in a team that may move up. Uh, I think ideally it would be five or six for him. Just move back a spot or two with the Dolphins and the Chargers. And you still probably get the guy you're going to take it for anyways. And in the meantime, you, you, know, you probably pick up a couple mid-round picks. Honestly, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just, if you're going to trade up, if you're one of those teams, I think you got to get to three. And Detroit is just as open about willing to being willing to deal their spot. So getting to four doesn't do you a lot of good if the other team just jumps you to three, you know. So uh, I don't see that fourth pick getting traded as much as he is open to it. And then it's, you know, then obviously it becomes who are they going to take? Now, like I said, Gellin's not going to come right out and reveal who his draft board is. So I just think maybe sort of what he said, but more based on his actions it just really feels lined up like for them to take a tackle because, you know, we knew the tackle was a weakness going into free agency and they basically didn't address it. I, I don't understand the optimism of Cam Fleming. His guy's been around the league six years and has never been a full-time starter. I mean, he is ideally suited to be a swing tackle. Maybe you draft the guy and he's not ready to start week one. Well, you can, you know, Fleming's a guy who Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo and Joe Judge know. You can trust him to, to get you off the ground, but, if he's your 16-game starter next year, I don't think you're going to have very good tackles with, with him and Nate Solder. So I just really think tackle makes a ton of sense. So you take the tackle there. You hope he can start at right tackle, or maybe even left tackle, maybe move Solder to right. Um, but I, I think the tackle spot isn't just a 2020 uh, hole that needs to be filled because Cle Fleming's on a one-year deal. I think odds are pretty strong. That unless Solder has some crazy bounce back, this is going to be his last year. So you're going into next offseason potentially needing to fill both tackle spots. So – you're in a, this real prime position here to take a tackle, hopefully lock that spot down for the you know the duration of Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones' careers. I mean, it's going to be very important to have a strong offensive line so those guys you know live up to their potential. And again, I think this is a great opportunity to do it, and, and I think that's the way he's headed. But Dave Kettleman has been known to throw a curveball or two uh, in his day. All right, proving that a virtual draft isn't all that hard to do. The Athletic went ahead and did one with all the beat writers for all the teams. Uh, Dan, holding on to that fourth pick, let's take a listen to what Dan Duggan did with the pick. Now to make the number four pick in our beat writer mock draft, we've got Dan Duggan from The Athletic New York. And I have the Giants um, taking offensive tackle Jedrick Wills from Alabama. All right, so I think the Giants had their pick of all of the offensive tackles here on the board. Why is Wills the one that you went with? Yeah, and it was definitely a tough decision. I mean, first of all, I tried to trade back because I think that's what Dave Gellivan's going to want to do. I didn't find any takers. I think that might be the case for the Giants on draft night. So, 
yeah, I mean, I think you really can't go wrong. You talk to four different evaluators, you're going to get four different guys as their top tackle. Uh, you know, for me, Wills, I think, you know, he has a lot of upside. I think eventually can move to left tackle, but they can plug him in day one, you know, fill a big hole at right tackle. And there's also the Alabama connection, you know, Joe Judge and Nick Saban, you know, have ties. I think maybe that gives him that little boost to, to put him over the other tackles. So that draft was held on Tuesday morning with with everybody getting involved on the NFL side for the athletic. And Dan, how much fun was it being in that kind of a I know you guys do mock drafts all the time through Slack, through email, but actually getting on Zoom and making the pick. This was kind of cool for the athletic. Uh, well, it was less fun, more stressful because I had to worry about my daughter <laughs> storming in at any time. So I just had to try and get my my 30 second spot over and done with. But I think it's fun to just do these actual mock drafts because anyone can sit on a computer like i think the mock drafts where people just sit there and say oh, they'll take this guy they'll take that guy are like totally useless because you can just like you know basically fix it because you're the one doing all the the speculating uh, when i do them i do the fan speak simulator so at least the other 31 teams i have no control of who they take so it's funny i'll put those results out and fans are like how you'd never be there it's like well i didn't say it'd be there that's what the simulation said it would be there or you know like how is that guy gone it's like i don't know that's what the uh, computer wanted the raiders to do um, and then doing with this adds a whole nother element to it because you're doing it with humans. So, I mean, presumably the beat writers for the teams, you know, know their teams pretty well. Obviously, you know, there's definitely going to be some curveballs, I'm sure, when this one comes out. But you de- you get a sense of what it would be like to be on the clock, not just sitting you know, on my computer dreaming of who could they get it for. Well, you saw who came off the board. And obviously, it was Joe Burrow at number one, Chase Young went number two, and then Jeff Okuda went number three to Detroit because Detroit couldn't trade back either. Um, so that's a very realistic scenario for what I think could happen on Thursday night. So when I was sitting there, you know, I, like, again, I, as I said earlier, I'm more in the tackle class. I know Isaiah Simmons, a great talent. I just don't see them going there at the fourth pick. Um, so then you're left with the decision. There's four really good tackles that you ask around. You could get four different, you know, rankings of who's the top guy, who's the worst guy and everything in between. But I do think the consensus is they're all worth top 10, top 15 picks. Like, I don't think any of these guys uh, are crazy reaches. Like if they take one of them, I don't think people are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they took such and such. Uh, for, you know, so it really just comes down to point of preference. I couldn't tell you right now who the Giants are definitely going to take. Uh, for me, I feel like it comes down to probably Wills and Andrew Thomas from Georgia. I know Tristan Wirfs was, was really high early in the process. I think even one of my mock drafts, I had them taking him. But the more I dig in there, it just feels like his – future home might be a guard and if i'm using the fourth pick and i have a chance to take a tackle who is pretty similarly rated to a guard i'm 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 gonna want to go tackle and and they have will hernandez have kevin zeitler not saying those are you know pro bowl level guys but they're a little more solidified at guard so it really um i think you're down to the tackles makai becton is the guy that if they really want to take a shot with with super high upside you know i think he would probably be the pick and maybe if jerry reese was still calling the shots uh, maybe he would because you know, he was big on measurables and potential and that type of thing. But uh, I, I just there's a bus factor there that I don't know uh, if that would be the direction to go. So for me, it's, you know, it's Wills and Thomas, two guys who you know excelled in the SEC. Kind of could flip a coin there. I think Wills just has a little more of a, a, an upside. I think they could plug him in at right tackle right away. You know, they want to be a really run heavy offense with Jason Garrett. Makes sense when you have Saquon Barkley. Um, that's kind of Wills' strength. You know, he has the athleticism, like I said, to, to move to left tackle. And, and then, as I mentioned in the in the clip, the fact that he's an Alabama guy, uh, 
you know, there's presumably, you know, Joe Judge will get the lowdown from Nick Saban and from all public, you know, uh, statements, Saban is very high on, on Wills. So that might be the little boost that gets him over the edge in a discussion that's really close between four guys. And it's interesting because he's the right tackle. And you mentioned moving it over to the left, but it's a little deceiving because you think right tackle, well, why wouldn't he have played left tackle at Alabama? But obviously, uh, Tua, the left-handed quarterback. So he was the blindside tackle. That said, that's not a it's not a lock that you can make that move. So for the Giants to make this pick, do they have to be completely sold that he can be a left tackle? Or do they say, you know what? At playing a tackle position, he is the best of these four guys. Whether he ends up staying on the right for us or moving to the left, we still think he's the guy to take it for. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, can, so, no, can it totally. be either of those things? Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that you have a, a sense based on his athleticism, and like you said, he might have played right tackle <clears throat> just more because he was protecting the blind side on that side. Um, but I think the fact that he does have the athleticism to project to, to making that change would give you a little more confidence in, instead of saying he's strictly a right tackle. Because um, I think, you know, the difference is a lot of times you're talking left tackles are usually more athletic because they have to go, go against the really premier pass rushers. Right tackles can be a little bit more, uh, you know, bigger guys, maybe more maulers in the run game. But I also think the way the, the game has changed, it isn't just line up your best edge rusher on the quarterback's blind side anymore. I was talking to Brian Baldinger for a story I wrote, breaking down these guys. And he made a really good point that if you're playing right tackle in the NFL, that means you're facing up, you know, predominantly guys move around a little bit, but predominantly Khalil Mack, Demarcus Lawrence, Vaughn Miller, JJ Watt. I mean, you could argue you might see tougher matchups on that side of the line. So I, I don't think you can discount right tackle. I mean, I, you know, Lane Johnson is one of the highest paid tackles, if not the highest bid have to double check. Um, so there's a premium on right tackles nowadays too. And, you know, I, I think if, if worst case scenario, Jedrick Wills becomes an all pro right tackle, no one will feel bad and, and they can, you know, figure out left tackle down the road. But I think the fact that you do feel like he has the athleticism at least to potentially make that move that adds a little value. But again, I don't, I don't think, um, you know, I would look down on the fact that he might only be a great right tackle. I think that's, that's still a pretty big need and, and still pretty valuable. So Dane Brugler had the Giants in his last mock, um, unless he put one out today uh, that I didn't see. He had him taking Werfs, but I see your points about him maybe being a guard. Becton's the one guy where, where I think the Giants are right in avoiding him, but it is fascinating. You have a story out where you you know kind of talk to four different people about all four of these tackles, and Becton is by far, I think, the most fascinating of the four just because the potential is off the charts. I think one person told you, he could now. I think it's somebody he worked with, but he could change the position basically because of the talent level that he has with the size and the athleticism. But on the other hand, if you watch the tape at Louisville, there were times when he got a little bit lazy. Um, he does have the flag drug test from the combine, so it's one of those things where, with the fourth pick, I think you avoid that guy because you don't want to bust at four. If you go for him at if he falls back to ten and somebody gets him and he's the third or fourth tackle taken, and he ends up being a bust, I think you can live with that more than number four. Number four, you need to be safe, and Becton may not be that guy, even though maybe he ends up being the best of these guys. We'll, we'll know it in a few years. Yeah, well, it's funny. I, you know, again, I told you, everyone has different opinions on these guys, and, and Becton, I think he was first in two of the rankings, and he was third and one and fourth in the other. 
And it's funny, I grant that definitely there's a little disclaimer on one of the first place photos from Duke Mannyweather, who trained Becton. So he's the guy who, you know, compared to LeBron James. He's gonna revolutionize <laughs> that was the funny history. part. I love that he compares him to, to LeBron James. And then right after that in your story is the little in parentheses, by the way, he trained with him. <laughs> Yeah, I had to I had to make sure I added that for uh, you know <laughs> to keep things on the up and up. But you know, at the same time, Duke has trained a ton of guys, so I, you know, I trust his opinion. I wasn't surprised that the guy he trained came in number one, but it also isn't outlandish to make Beckton your number one choice. Right. <laughs> and um, you know, and I, Duke's input on the other guys, I still found valuable. But yeah, it wasn't a shock that that that's the guy he picked to be number one. But at the same time, you know, Brian Baldinger picked to be number one as well. Uh, I thought the the interesting uh, point was by. Paul Alexander, who was a longtime offensive line coach for the Bengals, you know, was in the NFL for 25 years as an O-line coach. And he's an Andrew Thomas guy. And his feeling on Andrew Thomas was, you know, he's like the safest guy, really productive in the SEC, played left tackles, PFF grades are really high. Like, just bottom line, he's done it. Like, there's not as much projecting. And I just loved the analogy uh, Alexander made. He said, you know, some people buy internet, internet socks. Other guys invest in Procter and Gamble. And he said, he's a Procter and Gamble guy. Like I, you know, I know him. I don't want to miss. So I'm at the fourth pick, you know, get that nice steady stock. Maybe it doesn't become Amazon, but you know, I'm not going to lose my 401k or anything like that. Whereas Becton is Amazon. He's Apple. He's the guy that you, you're hoping really takes off, but you know, the million other tech startup stock, stocks that never went anywhere. And so that, that would be the fear. Whereas I think a guy like maybe Wills and Thomas, the, the the range might not be as great, but you're also not worrying about the floor being as low. With Beckton, if you know if Beckton is 400 pounds in two years, and uh, you know just some of the negative things you're worried about with the maturity and stuff, if they don't change, um, that would be obviously the downside and the risk. Taking kind of the temperature of Giants fans in general, I feel like they've kind of come around on the on the taking of a tackle and the need for this, having taken a running back and a quarterback the last two years. You want to protect that. But I feel like it wasn't that long ago where maybe they were leaning like Simmons would be the more the better guy, the more exciting guy, the game changing guy. Do you get that feeling too? I mean, what if they go with a tackle, is the fan base gonna be pretty happy? Yeah, there's definitely a segment of the fan base who thinks it should be Simmons. And listen, if you want to say it should be Simmons based on he's just such a unique player and could be very valuable and Joe Judge preaches versatility, I'm fine with that. The one pushback I, I call somebody on Twitter about that I don't get, people are like, well, there's no consensus on the tackle, so you shouldn't take any of them. Well, I mean, there's yeah, four good ones, so just pick the best one. Like, that's that's <laughs> the job. Like, it, it sure would be great if everyone's like, oh, this is Orlando Pace. Don't worry about it. But he wouldn't even be there at number four if you knew that for a fact. So I don't buy that reasoning. But, no, I definitely understand that there's going to be fans who say, oh, they shouldn't have taken a tackle. They should take Simmons. Where I fall on it is, listen, this team's not very good. This roster's not very good. They really can't go wrong. I mean, if they take one of the four tackles, you're talking about a guy who's going to step in most likely as a day one starter at a very important position and presumably you know, help your team and help your two most important investments in Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. If they take Isaiah Simmons, you're talking about a day one starter who probably goes in and is one of your best defensive players on day one, if not your best. He's going to you know, fill a, a hole they need. They desperately need playmakers on defense. He would provide that. It's going to be a lot of pressure on Joe Judge and Patrick Graham to figure out how to use him because that is the one thing with Simmons. The upside, it's, it's a little bit like Beckton, not, not so many red flags, but the upside is really high if you use him the right way is always the addendum. If you're just going to you know take him and make him a safety or take him and make him an inside linebacker, I don't think you're going to get the return on the investment. You have to be using him as a Swiss Army knife 
and being really creative the way they were at Clemson. So it's certainly possible. But I, I think that is the appeal of Simmons. Um, so, again, if they take either one of, you know, the Simmons or from the tackle group, I don't think you really can complain. I think the pick that we can't rule out that would probably cause the most chaos would be if they – well, not most chaos. We'll probably get to that with the quarterbacks. But if they take Derek Brown, the Auburn defensive tackle, like in any other year, he'd probably be a totally fine pick at number four based on, you know, value and everything and his rankings. But if, if Jave Gettleman, you know, after – Taking B.J. Hill in the third round, Dexter Lawrence in the first round, um, first round, the whole Leonard Williams debacle. You already have Dalvin Tomlinson on the team. If you added another defensive tackle with a premium pick, I think people lose their mind. Now, again, Derek <laughs> Brown may very well be a great player, but that would just be a tough pill to swallow when you look at the other holes they have, the other options that are available, as we touched on, to then just go keep loading up on run-stuffing defensive line. I think that would be the pick. Um, that would really drive people crazy. I think Simmons are off the tackle. You're going to have people in both camps, but I don't think you're going to get people calling for Gettleman's job if it's, if it's one of those two. All right, you mentioned quarterback, and we got to get to that because these just kind of mind-blowing reports this week um, from good sources. You talk about Mike Garofalo and Ian Rappaport saying that that there's interest from the Giants or they're, they are big fans of Justin Herbert, the quarterback out of Oregon. Now he's a great quarterback, um, and he may be, you know, he may end up being the best quarterback in this draft. Who knows? There's, he's obviously not going to be one of the first two taken um, in those top five picks. But how does this even become a conversation when you took a quarterback at number six a year ago and he had a successful rookie season? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of theories, and and I don't like to try and play like the source game and guess, guess another poor source. I mean, we're presuming this was leaked by the giants. I guess it could have been leaked by Justin Herbert's camp. Um, I don't know. Maybe the lions caught wind of it and, and they wanted to put it out there. Uh, I heard that theory. I kind of like that. The lions tell teams, Hey, the giants want Herbert. You better come up to three. If you want them, I, I could see that. I mean, I don't know. Yep. You never know this. There's, there's so much smoke going around. As you said, these are, you know, reputable reporters. I don't think they're just intentionally putting out, false information so let's just presume they got it from the Giants somehow or they came across it in just their their standard reporting I guess the theory would be that it's a smokescreen that the Giants are trying to convince teams that hey we might take Herbert at four so if you want him you got to come get him I, I mean I guess it can't hurt to, to try that I don't think it's gonna be very effective again they took a quarterback number six last year People need to get out of their heads that what the Arizona Cardinals did, that is not a trend. That is not the norm. That was a one-off thing where they took Josh Rosen, then they hired a coach who has a very specific offensive style, who has loved Kyla Murray since high school, and Kyla Murray was available with the first pick, so they scrapped the Rosen pick and went with Murray. It just doesn't happen. And Daniel Jones had a much better rookie season than Josh Rosen. Uh, you know, you go all the way up to the top. John Mara has spoken very highly of Daniel Jones. He's already weathered the storm of like replacing Eli, handling the New York media. They know, regardless of the fumble issues or anything else, he can handle being the quarterback of the New York Giants. That's a huge thing to check off. Now, Justin Herbert probably could too. And if he came out last year, they probably would have taken Justin Herbert over Daniel Jones. But I don't think the the divide is that great that there's any chance they would move on from Daniel Jones after one year, you know get a fraction of the value back in a trade just to take Justin Herbert. So, and then the other theory that's out there, which, you know, people who know the way new England works, you know, pretty well say this isn't that uncommon for the Patri a Patriots type thing where they're just gathering information. I mean, listen, this isn't a top 30 visit where in previous years, you can only allow, you only allowed 30 visits to your facility where if you waste one on a guy, you're wasting it. 
listen, if Joe Judge wants to stay up till midnight and do a, a West Coast uh, Zoom call with Justin Herbert, there's no harm in that. So, um, you know, maybe it's just a fact finding mission that whether it's that, hey, they're going to play Justin Herbert wherever he ends up and he'll have some, he'll glean some little piece of information that can inform his scouting report or, you know, in four or five years, if Justin Herbert flames out wherever he's at and becomes a free agent, well, you've already done a lot of your homework for, you know, that free agent, that, you know, potential free agent situation. I don't put a lot of stock in that one either because if Justin Herbert is available and the Giants are looking to sign him in four years, that means Daniel Jones did, did very bad. Justin Herbert didn't do very well where he was at. And so odds are Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge won't be the ones, you know, making that decision. But um, so I don't I don't think it's a big deal. I, I think the smokescreen angle is, is probably the most likely. Um, again, I would, you know, I said like Derek Brown would be the most controversial pick. If they took Justin Herbert at four, that would be holy moly. Like you know, the world would explode. So I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think it's probably just a case of due diligence. It gets out. It doesn't hurt the Giants that it's out there, but I can't imagine it forcing teams to to really take it seriously. For all intents and purposes, the Giants kind of don't have a third round pick. They traded away of Leonard Williams. They do pick at 99 with a comp pick, but that's a big gap, Dan, between 36 and 99, which I feel like puts more pressure on that second pick, that number 36 pick. If they go tackle like we expect them to do and like it seems like they're at least leaning, if nothing else, um, is any other is every other position open at 36 or do you think based on tackle at four they'll look in a specific area at 36 i think ideally if you take a tackle at four and then you get potentially the top center whether it's caesar uh, ruiz or christian barry from lsu whoever they have at number one i think you know ruiz is kind of widely considered the top guy he might be gone but if he's there at 36 i think that's kind of an ideal situation where boom you check starting right tackle, starting center, first two picks. Again, hope plug those guys in for 8, 10, 12 years, but also week one of 2020, you've upgraded your offensive line, the short term, the long term. I think that they would be very happy with that because, you know, Dave Gettleman from day one has said, you know, fixing the offensive line was a top priority and they haven't made a lot of progress on that. So they could really, uh, you know, expedite that process with, with bang, bang, those two picks, if that's how it plays out. Um, but yeah, otherwise, uh, you know, kind of same thing applies to the first round. I mean, the team has plenty of needs. There aren't a lot of positions where you say, oh, there's no way they'd take a guy there. I think it definitely will be, you know, the best player available thing and a, and a value thing. I mean, if, if they could get, uh, you know, if guys are going to slide. So if they could get an edge rusher there, I mean, there's, there's a pretty big drop off after Chase Young, but maybe, you know, some of those guys in the next tier, you know, leak into early second round. Safety is a position that I think you could see them target. Um, you know, those are some of the main ones that stick out. Maybe a linebacker, because if they don't take Simmons, um, you know, that's a spot that could be fortified. So uh, it's, it's it's obviously hard. It's hard enough to predict who they're going to take a four. So, if, you know, 36 or so many <laughs> variables. But I think those are some of the positions if you're trying to narrow it down based on you know how the board might shake out and some of their biggest needs. Uh, I think those would make sense. But uh, to me, if they can go off at the tackle center first two picks, uh, I think that would be a, a pretty good you know start to the draft. Yeah, and Dane had one of those edge guys slipping A.J. Espinosa from Iowa down to that spot in the Giants taking him. So if that happened, maybe it's a possibility. But certainly going to be interesting. Um, the draft starting up Thursday night with round one. Uh, we are going to have a, a mini pod coming at you. Um, Thursday night will be available Friday morning um, on that pick um, as we go all out here at The Athletic to bring you NFL draft coverage throughout the week on the written side and also the podcast side. This has been a lot of fun, Dan. Um 
couple more days to get a little bit of sleep before uh, the weekend begins, right? Yeah, no, it'll be a lot of fun. And uh, it's Saturday should be interesting all all afternoon with my daughter awake. So my wife is going to have to <laughs> get a lot of exercise that day. A lot of, hopefully it's not a rainy day. Yeah, that's going to be fun. We need a uh, we need a webcam of the Duggan household for the draft, too. That'll be a lot of fun. If you want to hear more about the upcoming draft, of course, you can always go to Prospects to Pros, our pro- podcast here with Dane Brugler and Chris Burke. They're going to do a complete breakdown. They're previewing it throughout the week. They're going to have episodes coming out on Friday morning, Saturday morning, and Monday. Basically, every day you're going to have full coverage on Prospects to Pros, so check that out. And if you want to save 40% off on a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash the New York Football Podcast to save 40%. Follow Dan on Twitter as well, dduggan21. Thanks for joining us here on the New York Football Podcast.